Jason Johannes. Welcome to another episode of the All Things Blues and Southern Rock podcast. Thanks for your downloads and participation on the Facebook page. Thank you for sharing music with us. And by us, I mean myself and my co-host and friend, Jason. What's going on, man? Hey, Brian. Um, you know, I'm just, again, like we said before, I'm enjoying a lot of the shares we're getting to our Facebook page and uh, some of its music of people we know like performances as live music gets back out and some of it is new artists and new bands which very much appreciative of hearing mm-hmm. about how you doing good good yeah speaking of that we seem to get a lot of uh a lot of comments about the shows that our friends have been seeing uh the black crows where they're just on three i believe um it's nice being on that thread uh with our state of america friends and to get all like our own insiders like in, you know, input and nice. feedback stuff the general public doesn't get and i yeah. really I, I do enjoy the comments and i know our buddies at the most of the americans who is again black rose tribute band on the east coast uh they were at that show last night in new hampshire and very very good reviews and again those guys know the music the black rose and love it and if they're saying it's good it's good yeah i'm i'm definitely gonna believe that you know especially from fans from the boston area which it tends to be a Tans, it is very big uh, in Crows fandom and one of their the band's favorite places to play. Absolutely. They supported the Crows. They supported the solo projects, the side projects, and that is a very Black Crows friendly area. And I've heard nothing but positives coming out of it and very much happy they're back on the road. Um, you know, I think we talked last episode, we were a little skeptical Till we saw some videos and heard some people we can trust. And I'm actually excited now when I see them August 3rd in Cincinnati. Yeah, that's going to be awesome for you. Um, yeah, just really, really great uh, comments and reviews from people. And like you said, when when uh, when those guys from the Americans say it's it's really good, it's really good. And yeah, I think yeah everybody they're, they're are... no higher praise, no higher <laughs> threshold of criticism. You know, and it seems like both Isaiah Mitchell and Brian Griffin are getting a pretty good thumbs up on stuff. Yeah, yeah. And, and also the uh, VIP bartender on stage for just uh, the band. So is I, that what, that that's is. what he's there for, huh? He's for there for the band. Wow. Because I thought maybe he's the like bartender for the VIP section. Maybe it's no. something, some sort of thing that adds to the show, like the Uncle Sam Crow or something like that. And like, is he percussionist? What's this guy doing? You know? he's keeping the good times going that's yeah. what he's doing 
Wow, what a job. <laughs> what is, I still can't figure out like what's on like you to be stage left, but on the right for us, like where the girls are in front of, it's just sure. like some sort of opening to a juke joint or <laughs> that. And I think there's a jukebox on there. I'm not sure. The only other uh, show I've seen that's had something of a similar setup is wife and I saw uh, Ryan Adams doing a solo acoustic tour years ago. He came through the Taft Theater in Cincinnati. He had actual arcade cabinets and pinball machines behind him and he's like a very much a dude who's into that but it was funny they, they were turned on and running in the background while he was doing his acoustic show so oh, nice nice yeah he didn't play any of them they were just like you know uh decorations but it was pretty badass yeah i don't know they just don't have like a barmaid on stage or anything i don't see the band like playing hey yeah we're all gonna go get a drink <laughs> and we'll just talk to you guys for a while well you know what i'll give you a first-hand account uh when i see him here okay coming up right on and let you know see if it, see if they serve anybody right so yeah that's uh we're just glad to hear that uh everybody's liking liking this lineup of the band and you'll get an even closer look coming up um you mentioned earlier you know uh people that we come across on different uh social medias twitter and instagram you know, we came across some friends now on Instagram that we'll be talking about in an upcoming episode, um, and just people in general, you know, um, and out of the blue, I got uh, got an email from a gentleman named Steve Karras. He is the PR guy for Blackstone Sherry, and he sends me an email and tell me all about Fabrizio Grassi also known as fab fab in the industry and boy oh boy <laughs> is fab in the industry um <laughs> it's so funny is, to, go ahead it's so funny to look at my email like yeah i'll check them out. yeah i'll check them out <laughs> PR guy from blackstone and cherry hey brian yeah me, listen it, if, if you weren't doing such a good job you know we had chris on a while ago and you're doing a good job and people have a lot of respect for what's going on here they wouldn't be reaching out to us about different bands. Yeah, no, that's a really good point. And I'm very grateful for that. I got, I'm going to email them back um, and tell them how grateful I am that, you know, to think of us like that. I mean, that's pretty huge. He did because, us a favor because Fab is freaking awesome. And, you know, first thing happened is I check on his bio. And I was like, check <laughs> this out, man. This is incredible. The I amount mean, of people that he knows. It, it, it's it, like. It's a who's who of like rock royalty that he's worked with or is friends with or he's playing with now or who's in his bands now and you know fab is a a producer he's also a musician he plays bass he, he does some of his own side projects he has too but he's coming in to talk about one soul garage um but you know he's worked with steve Vai. he's he's worked with steve lukather he's friends with steve lukather billy gibbons i mean holy crap like guys from the red hot chili peppers people from um from deep purple you know it's uh <laughs> i just he was talking to us and rallying off names and i had seen his bio so i sort of knew it was coming but like my brain started melting down we were like you know it's like two little kids that are like listening to their grandpa talk about some old hunting story or something you know um you guys will enjoy a story where you know he uh, has a drummer that he plays with a lot and that one wasn't available. So a famous one. One might think like, oh man, we're like, what, you know, who's going to fill in for this? And, and, you know, it was like, and he tells and he us. another who, famous one. Yeah. yeah it's like, <laughs> like, is that like a Rolodex? Like, oh, get like, you know, someone's in the same, you know, category. 
as good as well it just it shows the level of respect he has in the industry with who his friends are and who helps him out these projects at the same time i mean you know and he's a super interesting guy grew, uh, grew up in italy moved over to the united states to to you know to move on his career immediately latched out to steve lukather and just started going from there so i don't want to ruin all the good stories but i think people will be impressed he's a fun guy it's one of those episodes brian where you and i just got to sit back and let the artist do the talk and the guest do the talking because you know he was so good and so entertaining we didn't have to sit there and try to pry him along i just i, I honestly we got to have him on again at some point um he was just so much fun yeah i mean it's like we said to andy aldor like you got to be on again and again you know we got to meet in volume two and volume three and you know, so just like we sat back and, and just listened to Fab Talk, uh, I think it's time for the audience as well to sit back and listen to our uh, our chat with, with Fabrizio Grassi, better known as Fab. So enjoy this chat. guest segment of this uh week's episode of the all things blues and southern rock podcast always throw it over to jason to tell the listeners who we have today as our guest oh it's my pleasure as always brian to introduce our guest this week um somebody i'm super excited to talk to because he's been involved in so many different bands and artists that i really love his resume is ridiculous we will get into it uh, he's a musician, plays bass. He's also a producer. He's done a ton of cool shit. So it is our pleasure to have on uh, Fab Grossi from the Soul Garage Experience. How you doing, Fab? Hey, thank you. I'm doing great. How you doing, guys? We're good. We're all good. Thanks for joining us from the West Coast. Hopefully, uh, weather is good. There's no wildfires or mudslides or whatever the hell is going on out there right now. Uh, well, no, all of the above. Uh, yeah. <laughs> no, no, no mudslides. Uh, <laughs> Uh, but uh, fires, yes, not necessarily too close to where we're at right now, but they're raging like it's not tomorrow. Yeah. Wow. And the heat has been unbearable for wow. the last month, I would say. I Actually, I live a little bit north in, in Hollywood, like about 20 miles north in Santa Clarita. And over there, we've been an av- we had like an average of like 109 for the last uh, oh my God. 15 days. Yeah, every day. So wow. I know huh. it's... Well, it's the beginning. It's it's kind of like the beginning of the desert. So I mean, it's kind of like I guess I get it, but mm-hmm. still, you know, well, you can definitely feel it. We are glad you're you're uh, you know dodging some wildfires and some hot temperatures to talk with us because you do have a really ridiculous resume and I'm sure some great stories for us. <laughs> so, well, and I like the fact that you started off with shit. So that means <laughs> that this, is a, this is an open is an open talk. Good. Yeah. Yes, you, you can know say what whatever you're... you want. We don't have sponsors. Don't worry about it. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. They, you got to keep him coming. <laughs> Our only rule is if you're going to talk about a crime, please don't use real names and say alleged. <laughs> so we don't get involved. 
No, I'll, I'll leave that for my book. That's my oh, early perfect. New York right days, on. you know, and, you know, I'll, I'll disclose all the name, all the names into that in that one. Perfect. So let's just start with uh, your uh, most recent project, Soul Garage Experience, like from when that was like a twinkle into your eye until it came to life. You want to tell us all about that? Yes, it's actually, um, I like to say it's my solo band, but, you know, it's kind of like an oxymoron saying a solo band. So is it a solo or is it a band? Um, and uh, it's kind of like big, I guess, by the size. Um, the Basically, I wanted to play more live um, than what I currently do. Um, when my daughter was born about 19 years ago, I decided to kind of like not tour like you know, crazy or anything like that and to focus more on the production end uh, because I didn't want it to have the same situation that a lot of my colleagues, unfortunately, had to go through with their mm -hmm. kids and families and all of that, right? But by the time my daughter was like in the 12 and 13, since she's been around myself and my wife was also musicians as well. She's a great singer uh, from Venezuela. She's, you know, if you think my resume is impressive, you should see hers. <laughs> uh, and um, so she's always been... Uh, this little girl has always been uh, exposed to a lot of artists, friends, and all of it. So kind of like she got an understanding of what I was doing. And she was the one who kind of like really pushed me to kind of like to go out and play more and all of that. And since 2010, I guess, when we did uh, kind of like a, a one-off uh, um, tour with this band called Goodfellas, which actually was uh, Steve Lukather's side's project with Kenny Aronoff, myself, and Steve Wengert, I kind of like got the bug back and uh, I've tried from that moment on to rework my way into the live uh, situation and touring, but not just random or whoever, you know, this, this guy needs a bass player, whatever it is, because I've been doing records and doing that for a long time. So I have a kind of like a, a bunch of things already going on, but I wanted to have something that was, you know, more mine. And uh, Kenny and I uh, wanted to continue uh, to do that with a good fellow's experience, but you know, against my own uh, uh, interest, I was the one that during that tour talked look at her out of disbanding Toto. <laughs> uh, what? Oh, yeah, you talked without you talked him into not disbanding Toto. Okay, thank yeah, you very that, much. Thank you very yeah, much. Yeah, and actually, I grew up with that, and I told him, hey, you know what, dude? I got first time I got laid was one over your over your over mm -hmm. one of your songs. So nice. What song was it? What song was it? It's not the same without your love. <laughs> right on. Nice. Well, it was it was an intentional. Back then, my English was very not as good or as decent as it might be today. So it was just like really like the song that happened to yeah. be at that time, you know. But anyways, to to fast forward, uh, I, I was really happy that Luke uh, kind of like listened to what we had to tell him, and uh, but we kind of like. We ended up being without a guitar player or like a, a reference figure with that. So that's, we started kind of like this, uh, um, not crusade, but this kind of like hunt for uh, somebody that could take on uh, Steve's um, shoes and kind of like create this like jamming thing. And well, I got even busier with production and it was actually during the recording of um, one of Leslie's West record, um, you know, I, I did this uh, record with Leslie about uh, 10 years ago oh and it was titled um, The Unusual Suspect and we had a lot of great cats playing with us, you know, Slash and Joe Bonamassa Holy and Zach Wilde 
and everybody kind of like wanted to pay obviously tribute to Leslie and actually look at her as well. Um, I hired Kenny to play on the and we kind of like got back again into that groove and we started to work with a bunch of other artists together. Uh, to a point where uh, mm, Gibbons came around and you know, wanted to write a song with me wait, for wait, a Gibbons, commercial. Wait, Gibbons, you mean Billy Gibbons? Billy, Billy yeah, oh, Billy. God, you might be my favorite person I've ever met in my entire life with all these guitar players you know. <laughs> well, I don't know, you know, I don't know. Well, we can get into the guitar player things later because I think there's a bunch, of, a bunch of kind of like stories that lead into that. But anyways, Billy wanted to write a song and um, for a commercial uh, for a Texas whiskey. Uh, the director couldn't clear that one because that was a remake of uh, an 80s song. And, you know, the guys that wrote it were like, one was dead, the other two were in jail, you know, one of those situations. So <laughs> Billy's like, hey, man, why actually, I'm going to give you one of my uh, uh, my best Gibbons. Um, so, hey, Fab, um, I got a song that I think might do us right. You know, <laughs> so. Uh, Dude, that was so really good. You had no ass awesome. either. <laughs> <laughs> well then again well the, billy has a lot to do with that so yeah. anyways he comes down to the studio we write a song at the end of the day his manager calls us the director cleared the other song so we couldn't use this however um he said you know we all appreciate the work that you guys put in the label as well so we give you a one-off you can do whatever you want with this song even with billy's names and all of it so i'm looking at gibbons and i'm like hey this thing is too good i mean it's simple but it's really cool it's a shame if we let it go what do you think and he said well, uh, you got one, write nine more and start a band. I'm like, okay, and um, but you need a great drummer. But, well, I got the drummer, so I called Kenny. I sent him what we did during the day, uh, and after 50 minutes, he was there with the drums. We recorded a song called Running Whiskey, which actually happened to be the first single of from the first record of, of uh, Supersonic Blues Machine, and that's how all that adventure started. So because of that, I started to go back and do a lot of touring and traveling and all of that. But the nature of that band is... Uh, Kenny, myself, and now Chris Barris, lead vocals and guitar. We have a bunch of sidemen, but we like to bring our friends, not only in studio to record with us, but out live. And which is great because it creates incredible music moments. Uh, but it's kind of complicated sometimes because uh, you ended up in dealing with five or six manager at the time, managers and agents and schedules. So when it works, it's fantastic. But, you know, now that I got the bug back and my daughter is a little bit, it's older, she's off mm -hmm. to do her own things as well. By the way, she's touring with us and her mom because she's part of the Super Sonnets, who are the backing vocalists of Super Sonic Blues oh. Machine and now also Soul Garage Experience. Yeah, we have a bunch of other ladies joining us. Uh, um, LaDonna Gales, actually, Harry Gales' wife, she sings with us often. Yeah. And a bunch of other friends here locally. And uh, basically, I was like, man, we need to go out more. I, you know, and I always get these invitations for private events and festivals and shows, especially around town too. And to put together the Super Sonic Blues Machine gang, it's quite of a an operation it's a big production so it's not something that we can do like oh this weekend we have the opportunity to go and play in phoenix uh not really yeah. uh, so it's a lot of paperwork that needs to go through that <laughs> and um because of uh a lot of songs that actually i had set aside for the new supersonic blues machine that i think it didn't fit this kind of stuff that we're doing now with supersonic since we have a uh, our new singer and guitar player is from the uk is another uh heavily blues influenced rock guitar player but from the 
British contingency. So he's got Gary Moore, Rory, Ga Rory Gallagher, Eric oh Clapton, gosh. and Robin Trower, and all those kind of guys yeah. as his uh, um, upbringing. Yeah. And, uh, but not as much as me or my, our older uh, singer and guitar player that are very very relying on you know our you know love for black music mm -hmm. uh and i think those new songs kind of like we're gonna make the band sounds like a supersonic fabs machine and i didn't want that we wanted you know we wanted to do what we're doing with supersonic so i ended up in kind of like having this lot of song uh put them in my vault i go to everything that i had and i ended up discovering a bunch of songs that i had for the last 10, 15 years and some stuff that I recorded with Kenny too, then I never really got to finish. And then obviously we're in the middle of, once the pandemic started, we were in the middle of COVID, I ended up in writing a couple of other songs. So I ended up with this like big collections of songs, uh, enough to put together two, if not three records. And I said, you know what? This might be the vehicle for, to do it in terms of like a two, give me the opportunity to really bring the touring outside the city limits. Um, I was already playing with what is the nucleus, the main embryo of uh, Soul Garage experience in the last two or three years around town. Uh, this is something, again, another suggestion from a great guitar player, Robert Ford, Robin Ford. We were headlining Kalamazoo Blues Festival, and that night Kenny couldn't play with us because he had already an, uh, um, an engagement with John Fogarty, out of which he couldn't get out of. I mean, it was, and Johnny didn't want, John didn't want to hear it. We were concert in the middle. We didn't want to create a problem. So Stephen Perkins, great drummer, funding member from James Addictions, Port yeah. of Papyrus, that he played yeah. with absolutely everyone from the Chili Peppers to No Doubt, Nine Inch Nails, and on and on and on, uh, subbed for Kenny. And um, Robin, at the end of the night, uh, we're driving back to the hotel, tells me, hey, man, I really love, you know, you know, I love to play with you and Caddy and Supersonic and all that is great. You know, it's, uh, we've got a great thing going on. But you know what? Tonight was really special because you, Perkins, and Alex, our uh, keyboard player, who was actually music novelty, musical director for a lot of artists, you know, from Paul Stanley Soul Stations to Christina Aguilera, Nelly Furtado, Natalie Cole. I mean, it's so just a, it's a monster, dude. Yeah. And um, it says like, you three guys together, you sound like the doors, but funky. You should do something with that because it sounded really cool what you guys were doing. And I'm like, hmm. So as soon as I get back at Cole Perkins, we decided to call a couple of other friends and we started jamming. We used a bunch of uh, covers, mm -hmm. but rearranged to sound like a, a, a band from the late 60s, early 70s, a California band from the late 60s and early 70s. And we played around town and actually it was fantastic because uh, even though there was a lot of jamming and a lot of virtuosism, especially on the guitar and on the keyboard end, um, in the band, it was not a cock forest. The show was not, a club that night was not a sausage fest like generally happens when you have this kind of uh, band. Cock forest is a new term for me. I, and can I borrow that? Can I use that? Well, actually, uh, you need to pay royalties. Well to look at there because he's that at least he's the right. endless for this kind of stuff i mean he's like we'll get him on the podcast no ask permission okay <laughs> <laughs> well uh cock forest is 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 actually trademarked by, by steve and um and we have majority actually of people in the crowd were ladies and everybody was dancing having a good time and the direction uh the music was taking was wow this is like what i always wanted to, i mean it's like very 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 close to home and as soon as I ended up in all these songs, I kind of like, I talked for a second with Billy, again, Gibbons, and then my wife, that they were giving me shit because they wanted me to sing some of the 
songs that I recently wrote, I'm like, you know what? We might give it a try. We got together with the guys, I mean, with the mask, because it was like during pandemic. I mean, mm -hmm. recordings and everything were already started, but uh, I did not really know the full dynamics, but we ended up in going there and we completed the record uh, during the pandemic. And and basically now we're just, you know, I'm going out in a little bit to just try to start booking the band. <laughs> so um, that's how the old Super uh, uh, Soul Garage experience uh, started, you know, in terms of, uh, you know, the adventures. As far as the music, uh, well, that's uh, Soul Garage, I think it's uh, uh, my more black music soul funk oriented upbringing versus what we're doing with supersonic blues machine which is very i mean it's blues yeah. based yeah. of yeah. course not only because of the name but that's where it's coming from we like to say with supersonic blues machine we play 50 shades of blues yeah you know and um but that band it's closer i guess to something that could be like maybe like a, a modern version of uh, Almond Brothers and uh, and Lynyrd Skynyrd together with some ZZ Top and with some Gary Clark Jr. You know, it's uh, it's classic rock, but it's blues. It's futuristic, but it's also retro. So it's got a very uh, defined style, even though it's it could be represented by a broad um, number of artists. Well, I've been raised, funny enough, even though I was raised in Italy, which was not, and is still not, uh, a rock and roll country by any <laughs> means. Uh, when I was growing up, the radio, which was where I was getting the music, because you know, my homework, my mom used to, you know, doing home chores and all that kind of stuff, and always had the music on, they would play the crappy Italian stuff. I mean, I love Italian music from the 50s, 60s, and half 70s. I think it's brilliant. There's nothing else like around it. And you can find all that stuff in some of the best music, music, and some of the best movies that are out there. Mm -hmm. Tarantino takes a lot from that. Robert sure. Rodriguez, and yeah. also, yeah. you know, those like the contemporary spy, like Born Out, Born Identity, and all of that. You can find a lot of that music in there, and I love that sound. But that was not what they were playing on the radio. What they were playing on the radio was the stuff that made me leave Italy, <laughs> you know. <laughs> and uh, but the good thing is, and I do not know why. Don't ask me why, because I have no, I do not know the answer they were playing an insane amount of soul r&b motown and funk oh really yeah that's good I mean, though that, at least that's, that's a good song. i don't know that was great that was great but yeah, you know yeah, yeah. it's it just that didn't make any sense but i guess that kind of stuff was probably big in the states back then and obviously as a reflection was getting big in europe as well and um that's what you know kind of like really got me into the whole thing my first love if we want to go there was bob marley and it still is not only for the music the vibe the lyrics the characters and all of it the whole narrative and the first guitar hero i guess that i got attracted to was carlos santana because again back then he had a song mm -hmm. uh europe we call it europa over there um and actually it works the same in italian and in spanish and my mom used to like him. And I remember that Carlos was like the, the guitar player that everybody was talking, oh, the guitar player, Carlos Santana. So, I mean, everybody else that I listened to, I mean, Bob Marley too, or Hike Turner, they were playing guitars, but nobody ever bothered to mention that. This guy was just like marketed as a guitar player. And that really stuck in my head. But, you know, together with that, there were obviously the Stones. And, and the thing that one of the episodes that really changed my life was when on the Italian TV, and I still remember, even though I was four years old, was um, we had these like Saturday night uh, TV shows 
like they have now on the Spanish channel, like Telemundo and stuff. They have like this thing called Salado Gigante. Yeah, the, where they have yeah, like yeah. music guests, you have games, you have uh, dancers, actors. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. They will go on the whole evening, right? Uh, I was in black and white. And I remember that particular night, this fellow showed up with this huge band. And the guy was James Brown. Oh. And I, I was mesmerized. I remember that. I, I mean, I was fixated on, on, on the girl that was singing on top of that hall behind him yeah like these big afro white boots and just doing the whole yeah moves bass player was bootsy calling obviously i didn't uh -huh. know any of that back then but i remember that i was so impressed and so shocked that i started to watch that show religiously hoping that that guy would come back you know and obviously that, that didn't happen but after a month tina turner show up oh and so and that's what did it i think that was my you know uh B baptism if you want to call it like that into black yeah. music and it's just the, what really opened the door and the gates to the flood um then obviously later you know all the other things came around and the rock and queen and you know and led zeppelin and acdc even Helen and all of that but that always stays with me and to be honest with you even though i guess for people that know of my work um it's all probably more based on rock bands you know um, even on the harder side too uh you know i always had this thing that i wanted to do it's, it's always been the blues and the r&b traditional r&b yeah and funk and soul and motown and all of that and the reggae of course of bobby so slowly these old things i guess i don't know i was getting nostalgic because of the age i guess and uh, all these things came around and came up again and my daughter started to be very very active in researching music and stuff and she ended up in putting together all these playlists and things that i'm like god damn it i mean i never really told you any of this and but she throughout the year obviously i guess being exposed to her mom and i she kind of like developed uh, some music knowledge on that sense and she started to put together all these playlist with Curtis Mayfield and Heartland and Fire and you know yeah. uh, Martin De Vandellas and you know I'm like oh, of course you're my daughter <laughs> to say <laughs> but that kind of like really kind of like it got me going and I was able to put together this uh this thing and I cannot really wait uh, to you know just to get it out there and uh, the music itself it's uh it's a mix of all this obviously done by you know a white boy raised in Italy, so I will never claim I'm a bluesman. Even when I'm dealing with my real blues guys, you know, my you know my my big brother Joe Louis Walker or Shamika Copeland, Eric Gales, and all those cats, they know what they're talking about when it comes down to blues. Or the same Gibbons too, yeah. you know, yeah. as Clapton likes to call him, the last standing king of the Delta blues, right? Uh, and these guys are the real deal. Um, you know, what I do, it's uh, my humble tribute to these greats. I mean, that, you know, I didn't grow up in that cultural environment. And I'm not just referring to the fact of being black. I'm just referring uh, of the, the culture, the music culture. You guys here in the States grew up listening to that kind of stuff on mm -hmm. the radio. Basically, it was not like a race thing. It was a, a cultural issue. And then with the family, then you go out to clubs, you guys. That's people playing. For me, it was different when I go out and see people over there. I had to wait for the big concert to come to town mm -hmm. or to drive to Germany or to France with my brother to go see the bands that we wanted to see because they wouldn't stop in Italy. Back then, it was like a very troubled time politically. There was a lot of uh, political tensions and accidents and bombing and all that kind of stuff. So, you know, a lot of big bands didn't didn't stop by. And so we're kind of like really handicapped when it came down to the live event. So I kind of like create my own world with, within my own head, my imagination where 
um, it was as cool and as even to listen to Earth, Wind & Fire as it was to listen to Black Sabbath. And, you know, and I would play both regardless, you know, yeah. and that's probably why now I'm doing what I'm doing. You know, it's just like that background. But at the end of the day, Black Sabbath, I think, is probably the biggest British blues band ever existed. So I guess it all makes sense, right? <laughs> well, you just named some really good bands with really good bass players at the same time, like, mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. Black Sabbath, Earth, Wind & Fire, the, the bass is definitely very prevalent in that. Did that influence not just your musical taste, but even your bass playing? Uh, well, uh, later, yes, when I started playing bass, but originally, and now this is the funny part that I was telling you about all the guitar players. Um, when I, uh, like, like around junior high, I moved with my aunt right outside Milan because my my biological mom mom passed away passed away and my father was just starting in his own business and it was very difficult for him to look after me I was a kid and all of that but we were very close with my aunt so I was spend you know the week with her and my cousins and all of that go to school and then my father will come around on the weekend so it's not that I was like you know abandoned or anything like that but um, I kind of like left all my friends from elementary school. Uh, kind of like uh, to they grow up in those three years without me and they all got into music so by the time I went back to live with my father in Milan at the beginning of um, uh, high school uh, these guys were already like you know they were not great musicians but you know they could do their own thing uh, I wanted to learn how to play guitar um, but I just you know it was just like I, decision like today i decided oh maybe i should uh, i'm gonna pick up saxophone it was that you know like on the spur of the moment yeah so i really sucked i could play maybe paranoid smoke on the water and you know the riff on on one string right yeah and that's what actually uh, my oldest friend that uh, was a guitar player and actually it was quite good at, at the time was like listen we already have like three guitar players in the band you will be the fourth <laughs> one and you kind of suck so you should play bass <laughs> And I'm like, uh, what's bass? You know, I was like very ignorant with all sure, this, right? Sure. And he's like, well, just like guitar, but with four strings only. And I'm like, wow, that's easier. <laughs> that easier. So I trade in the guitar that I bought when I wanted to join my friend's band. And I bought this cheap Japanese imitation of a precision bass. Mm -hmm. And I started playing. But within a year and a half, I was playing with a lot of bands around town. And a lot of my other friends were actually, they were the cool guitar player. They give up. You know, because they got, you know, more seriously into studies and all the kind of stuff. So that's how we started with the with bass. But and I don't know if it's something that I carry in because originally I wanted to be a guitar player. Uh, no, I wanted to be a guitar player. I, I liked the instrument because I think it was cool. I see these guys around and Paul Stanley jumping on stage and Jimi Hendrix, you know, Pete Townsend breaking the guitar. I thought that that was like the coolest thing ever. My uncle wanted me to learn how to play piano. I was an idiot. I didn't, uh, and I regret that because it's either the guitar or nothing. Um, so I kind of cancer. I I think I, I I missed the the boat on on that experience on learning that kind of instrument. But I think uh, switching to bass gave me the opportunity probably to um, appreciate even more the guitar. And and I don't know. No, that was a, probably an evolution of uh, or a sign of destiny. I ended up in working becoming friends and producing most of the guitar players that I always liked. Yeah. And, uh, and majority of my collaborations are related to guitar players. I, that was not intentional. Trust me. I didn't do that. Oh, from now on, I'm going to start to produce guitar players. Absolutely not. But was a guitar player 
that gave me like my first major break and that was Steve Vai and he became like one of my dearest friends and I guess you know my music guardian angel him and Luke I mean I, those were the two guys that I met as soon as I moved to Los Angeles from New York in 2006 and we've been friends and inseparable ever since and uh, I guess then because of the thing with Vi and then all my other recordings and all the guitar players and all the other work that I did it became like I guess guitar player's best friend yeah. this is like oh we need to record something oh well let's go with fat well let's go fat whatever it is and <laughs> that's how we started <laughs> that's uh I, I'm speechless because you dropped a lot of names of some musicians and players that I'm sorry, it's intentional. I, I can't if you want from now on, I can I don't <laughs> no. I don't need to nominate to, to mention anybody. It's just to, that no no please please do, do. please do because you're like talking like all these guys that I really, really love. And I'm like, holy shit, like he knows he works <laughs> with everybody. Where do you well, even start? We, we all love them. You know, that's yeah. that's the that's the cool thing. And you know what? I think uh uh looking back at everything that happened in the last uh you know 25 to 30 years of my life um it's just major a major blessing uh uh i guess pat uh, it was a a blessed path that i ended up in walking because and i think uh, uh you don't really realize these kind of things because uh of course maybe the first time that you get to meet one of these guys especially for me you know i got this kid you know out of italy i mean i used to come to the states with my band because uh we were signed to sony and Sony wanted us to learn how to speak better English. Mm -hmm. So they was used to send us to um, Canada, like Ontario, the Ontario area on upstate New York to play with bands and stuff, you know, to try a tour with them to get them more familiar, right? But when my band disbanded, uh, I obviously I moved back to the States and all of that. I started to kind of like a, this journey and always ended up in wanting to, I was always in, impressed by guitar players and the very particular type of guitar players, not just the, somebody that is good, but somebody has a sound and has a, um, a per personality. And, uh, you know, that, cre I mean, if I think about it, it's just amazing how uh, it all makes sense. Like the two, uh, I mean, I, I mentioned earlier, I'm sorry if I'm going back and forth, but no, you know, no, in these days good. with these interviews, I'm enjoying a lot because I'm getting to um, see with Supersonic Blues Machine, there's two other guys in the band and I and, and it's not about myself, which is great. It's fantastic and I love that. So we always talk about the different things. Sometimes there is like a personal question, but it's always like about the band and the collaboration. Here by Soul Garage Experience, everybody's been asking me these things and I've been kind of like going back through my life and thinking about it and realizing and remembering a bunch of things that I'm like, Holy hell. I mean, that really happened. Um, I mentioned earlier what my, you know, opening moment, music opening moment with uh, uh, James Brown. Yeah, with James Brown and obviously Bob Marley and all of that. But the other two episodes that really changed my life musically and they got me to become a musician where in the summer of 83, I used to go to to the uk i mean during the summer in europe families send their kids not all of them but you yeah. know they send their kids to the uk uh to stay with the family for three weeks for a month to take english lesson you know that's just, it was like a very economical and cool thing to do right so i was there doing just that and a bunch of my older friends from milan came over to the uk because they wanted to go to see this concert castle donington um we didn't know that we were going to see this show that ended up in becoming like a, an iconic show. It's like it made 
the books, you know, of history for whoever was there. That show was the first live performance of Ronnie James Dio with his band, with his solo band, with Vivian Campbell and, oh, you know, Vinny Appice. They were yeah. Damon, Head, Damon Head were yeah. playing, Mitloff, um, you know, ZZ Top and Whitesnake. Uh, during the shows uh, back then in the UK, everybody used to throw food and drink. And I was, it was like about 100,000 people. And, every, and it was just like a mudslide, the whole place. Yeah. And everybody obviously brawling and, you know, cursing and just great. But uh, when Coverdale um, started talking about uh, this song that they were about to play, what it meant to him and all of that and blah, blah, blah. And Bernie Marsden was playing the riff. And that, the song was Ain't No Love in the Heart of the City. I that was when I first experienced the power of music. Yeah, I'm getting like still goosebumps by yeah. thinking about it because all of a sudden the whole vibe changed. I mean, nobody was fighting no more. You know, everybody was like there with their lighting, you know, with the lighters <laughs> yeah. up, yeah. and everybody was singing. It was just like a giant gumpaya, right? And I'm like, holy cow, this is powerful. I couldn't really grasp it or understand it, but you know, I I felt it. And after three months, I saw in Milan the the only performance the queen ever done in my city my, uh, uh, with Freddie Mercury, of course. Yeah. And again, the way he was running the crowd and keep in mind that I was like 14 or 15 years old back yeah. then, but I remember it like as it was last night because it was that powerful. Um, uh, the way he was running the crowd, it was just absolutely insane. And after the show, my brother, uh, I knew somebody that was working in the venue and all of that. Uh, well, the passport, you know, it was like six or 7,000 people. And we ended up in going uh, backstage in this big room with journalists and all of that. Oh, I remember my, my brother was a friend with one of a journalist that used to report and do rock shows and all of that. And I remember that I was there with them talking. I see some of the musicians and some of the other guys that were around uh, being there. And I felt this like super energy, like super excited, you know, like, you know, when you get in, you know, uh, when you're like under the sun that it's hot, but it's kind of like very almost therapeutic that you feel like, Mm -hmm. what's going on it's like super like overdose of uh, vitamin <laughs> d well i turned around because it was time for us to leave and i had friday mercury right on my back oh. like he was giving me his back and he was talking to people that's what he was i mean i was feeling his energy so that yeah. for me what did it i was like this is what i want to do this is the coolest thing i've ever seen and you know and i you know kind of like uh continue my life to do that but just to f fast forward, like almost 30 years later, uh, three years ago, we had line a show at uh, Shepherd Bush Empire in London. That was our, no London, no UK debut because uh, we caught line another festival, uh, Rambling Man Fair the previous year. But that was actually our first show as headliner in London. And Billy Gibbons was with us. And the funny thing is like, because this is like, it's a twist of fate. I, I, I don't even know how to say these things, but uh, Shepherd Bush Empire, the venue was two blocks away uh, from where I used to live when I was 15, 16 years old, when I would go uh, in the summer in London to take uh, these like English lessons. So it was like every, like all of a sudden it was like, I was just transposed like all these years back because nothing changed around there. It was like the big park, the venue, it's an historic venue. So it always looked the same and it was just a trip. And we're doing some interviews. Um, we're taking some photos and stuff yeah. like that. The label guys were there. And right in the middle of this interview, I remember with Classic Rock Magazine, it was Gibbons and I, they were doing it. Um, Steve Marsh, the director of our uh, record company, 
uh, the London office, comes to me and says like, hey, Fab, I have Bernie Marsden here that wants to say hi. And he says that he has a guitar with him. Kenny can come in and he wants to say hi with you guys and all that. And I'm like, what? <laughs> and he says, it's just that Bernie Marsden? And, and he said, yes, what you, well, dude, go get him. You know, what the hell? Just, so, and, and here I see this, this guy, he just comes in with his gray hair and everything. This is like, hi, everybody. And we finished the interview. I'm there. We just started talking and stuff. And I told him, hey, you know that if we play here tonight, it's because of you. It's like, it's part of your fault. And the, the fact that then I see him and Billy, they're sitting out of the table and they're starting talking Elmer James and, you know, and, and little Jimmy Reed and all that, you know, all the blues guys that Billy and, uh, and, um, and Bernie really like, it was just insane. My daughter took a pictures of them and I was standing by the door with a poster of all, some of the people that played uh, in the same venue and actually that used the, the green room that we're using. And so I was standing on this door and I had uh, this, poster of Emmy Winehouse, which actually happened to be one of the artists that I prefer ever. I had that Rolling Stone photo next to them. And then I have Billy Gibbons and <laughs> Benny Marsden talking to each other. My daughter took a picture. It's like, dude, it's like basically the circle closed. So at the end of the night, we invite Bernie to play with us. And we ended up in doing a, uh, what we generally close the nights when we have um, Gibbons with us and we play uh, going down with Freddie King and Debbie Knowles was there and a couple of other musicians that I don't even remember and obviously Bernie. So we had a, a great night. So I'm looking at these things and it sounds that it kind of like almost like it looks to me that everything was already planned beforehand. Um, you know, all these people like uh, are coming to Los Angeles and I get to meet Steve Lukather that becomes one of my best friends. And the same thing with Steve Vai that helps me to get a gig and recommend me for an audition with Ozzy Osbourne that I didn't get because Ozzy already got Robert Trujillo to play with him. But I ended up in becoming friends with, with James Lomenzo and with a bunch of other musicians. Uh, and, and everything was just planned because yeah. Steve was one of those guys that, you know, I was like, incredibly mesmerized from the first moment that I heard him playing only with Frank Zappa, but also, you know, his solo stuff. So it's just, it's, you know, I, I love to do these interviews because when people ask me about me, I, I kind of like think about now what happened to my life. And I'm like, fuck man, it looks like somebody kind of like wrote down a sketch of how it was supposed to be. And, you know, and I've ended up in following religiously and I'm hooking up with all these guys that were part of my life, whether they knew it or not. And, you know, and now they're part of my life and my family because we ended up in becoming all good friends. So it's um, an incredible journey, I have to say. I was, you know, I would have never, 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 never guessed that, you know, a millionaire. If you would have asked yeah. me when I was 18 or 19 and I was playing with my band in Italy and, of course, we're about to do the first trip to New York and thinking it's like, well, 20 years from now, you're going to have, or 30 years from now, you're going to have a band, you know, and you're going to be on stage and tell, you know, with Billy Gibbons and Steve Lukather and all those cats. So you're going to be recording with Steve Vai. And I'm like, yeah, get, get lost, please. <laughs> you know, stop kissing ass. And, you know, and well, actually it happened. So it was just incredible. You know, I feel incredibly blessed for all that. Uh, Brian, I think <laughs> Fab's going to have to come on a couple different times. There's just two, three, <laughs> four. I mean, can it, can we like plan for you to come on every other month or something? <laughs> sure. Don't worry. So we'll make it, you know, I love to do that. I, I love talking. I love to, you know, to share these kind of stories. And I don't even you know, know because then questions. <laughs> I think I probably already answered about 15 of the yeah, questions that you were about to ask me. I can't put them. Keep going. Don't worry about it. I got time. <laughs> I got one. I, that video is so cool. And then Warren Haynes played it with you. And I thought like, it looked like Walter Trout. 
in that in the background too. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, so, yeah. Well, um, that was the first uh, Supersonic Blues Machine record. Uh, that song was uh, the one that you talking about with Warren Haynes is called Remedy mm-hmm. and actually was the second song that we put together with Supersonic Blues Machine because after we recorded um, uh, Running Whiskey with Billy, Billy told me again, write nine more write and start a band and when I'm not, you know, when I can get away from my daily job, meaning ZZ Top, I'll come mm-hmm. and play with you guys, right? I was just cool, you know, and we were just already kind of like try to understand how we could put that together and two weeks later Warren comes to town with Government Mule and they were playing out their film. And I was actually doing a record with them. We were producing a posthumous records on Tommy Bowling. Okay. And we had oh, a bunch yeah. of other people involved. It was great because we used some old B tracks uh, or B cuts yeah. uh, with the original musicians, you know, and uh, we kind of like to restore the tapes and all of it because it was a mess. Uh, some of the trap, like some of the drums were recorded like with two microphones, that kind of vibe, just to give you an idea. And we got a bunch of cats to interact with the old tracks, right? Yeah. And uh, so I was in the middle of it. And uh, so I got to say hi. I got to the tour bus, you know, all the L.A. usual suspect and Jimmy Vivino and all those cats were all there. And uh, as soon as I get on the bus, well, this is uh, Warren goes like, man, what's going on with that thing that you're doing with Gibbons? You know, why didn't you call me? And I'm, and I'm like, what am I doing with Gibbons? And he says, like, oh, he told me that you guys record this new thing and you're putting together this stuff. To, you know, we'll do like a, you know, like a six to things. Oh, but you're, oh, okay. Well, because I didn't take, it's not that I didn't take Billy seriously, right. but Billy comes up with ideas like, you know, a hundred a day. So I thought that that was just like one. Sure, I liked the idea and I wanted to pursue it, but I didn't know that it was going to take that kind of twist and that soon. So I told Warren, you know what? I'm putting together an idea for this song with Serge, which is uh, my main co-writer with Supersonic and also our second guitar player when we tour. Um, I'm going to send you this thing. Tell me what you think. And yeah. uh, he liked the idea. And uh, we ended up in putting a few things together. So he, he went to the carriage house. It's a great recording studio upstate New York. Uh, we set up a, a, a Skype um, connection. And I was here at the studio with Kenny. And uh, and Warren was at the studio there in New York. And we're kind of like ended up in recording a distance, but like being in the same place. Mm-hmm. And uh, that song was the song that uh, pretty much sealed the deal because because after those two songs, I sent them to Ed Van Zigel, the president of Mascot, and I said, hey, I was already doing production for Mascot, so Ed and I were you know, good friends from, from a while. It says, hey, this is the second song. What do you think? And Ed was like, uh, well, do you think you can put together, really finish a record like this? I thought, hell yeah. What's the problem? You know, and it's like, okay, cool, let's do it. And that's how we got there. We didn't even sign papers or nothing. It was a handshake, and that's what we did it. Uh, that song was uh, basically the uh, made it official for that project to be alive. And uh, Walter and I were talking about working together on a record before Walter ended up in going to the hospital and having to deal is uh, to deal with his drama you know the nearby that and all of it and i'm incredibly proud and happy that his uh, uh participation to soul to so i'm sorry to supersonic blues machine first record and uh and um ended up being his first music efforts after uh his resurrection we're, yeah. we, we yeah. like to say that you know so I, that was like a very particular it was very touching because um it was, uh, you know, we spend all day, uh, you know, telling stories, crying and happy. And, you know, and obviously Walter is like one of those cats that, you know, is I, I call him uh, either 
Wally Wald or Walterine, one of the two. Wally Wald is just because he carries in all his, you know, is like, you know, silly New Jersey, happy, like, hey, you know, you know, and um, we like to have him around. And so we did a bunch of interviews that day and he was around. Uh, we did a, a few other videos, uh, EPKs and all of it. Him and Robin Ford too were there. So basically we did the video with Warren, but we had Robin and Walter, uh, peeking in from the door what we're doing it was just like very very surreal you know yeah oh my god like <laughs> warren warren haynes is one of the most talented like in, like he's all over the place and he really is carrying blues and southern rock you know with he is i think uh, and everything else i i don't know if there is anybody uh right now at uh, Warren's level when it comes yeah. down to the Southern rock or more, I guess more than Southern just, rock, more, I would say more rock. Americana type of, yeah. uh, cause you know, he's got these uh, Appalachian folk influences, but then he's got the Almond brothers, not only because he played with them because, right. but that was, you know, that's yeah. what he really liked. Right. And then he got Hendrix and then he got the old gospel and he happened to be from North Carolina where you get the both, the yep. best possible uh, black churches with these incredible bands yeah. that, you know, you go to church on Sunday, you think you're going to a concert and these guys are mm -hmm. just doing a function and it's just, so that's how he grew up and he carries that within himself. I think probably the close, closest one to that world that I know that is a friend of ours is probably Charlie Starr from Blackberry oh, Smoke. Right on, Look right on. Shirt. Look at my shirt, Blackberry Smoke. We love Blackberry Smoke. All right. Oh yeah, no, it's fantastic. I'm, I'm very good friends with Charlie. I love him dearly. So uh, do, do a favor for me, Fab, okay? <laughs> he reached out to us on Instagram and said, hey, y'all want to do a podcast? And like, we had a little correspondence and stopped. I, I guess on source. So next time you talk to Charlie Starr, say, Go on the All Things Blues and Southern Rock podcast. Absolutely, absolutely. Actually, I need to send him. I, I was supposed to to send him something today, uh, and it, I'll definitely I'll definitely bring it up. Yeah, and you I think thank you because you know what? Because Charlie Charlie is another one that like Warren, uh, it doesn't let his um, Southern roots get in the way, meaning it doesn't exclude everything else simply because it's not Southern Rock. Right or or blues or whatever it is I actually he opens up to it and um it's like probably even more than actually even more than government mule yeah. uh blackberry uh blackberry smoking several records like the whippoorwill especially oh man mm -hmm. uh, classic stone cold classic. is uh they have some stuff that you know him and i was like fetch dude don't tell me that there's a ballad and i'm very bad with titles i'm really good with faces and with sound with songs but there is a, a particular song in that record where I said, listen, that uh, that Ammon, I know that you have the Ammon plan and all of that, but that line with the Ammon, have you been listening to Pink Floyd lately? <laughs> and it was like, <laughs> oh, you got me. You know, it's like always been one of my favorites. And, you know, and uh, we're always trying to, it was telling me to include some of these uh, passions of ours that are not necessarily Americana or Southern uh, with a little bit of, these flavors to come in just to kind of like create our own thing. And now they're part of what we do. We don't even think about it, but it's true. And, and Warren, exactly the same kind of guy, but uh, with more, I guess, more with the, the, the gospel influence and all of that. So I think these two cats are probably wow. the most uh, Southern rock, uh, Americana rock, uh, icons that rock. I can think out today. Well, to a point, because I mean, I don't know if I will ever seen uh, uh, Charlie, you know, uh, playing, you know, a, a Van Halen tune or sure. or anything like that. But 
Um, but I've seen him play Black Sabbath, Fairies Wear Boots. I've seen him play that before. Yeah, but that's blues. That's blues. That's Having that's distorted that's blues, man. They played true. Take Your Whiskey Home by Van Halen. Like in the middle of a sleeping dog. But they're not playing like that. Right. Yeah, but they're doing their own version. It's like yeah. me trying to do Harder to the Grapevine. I ain't doing it like for it. For sure, not like Marvin Gaye. Yeah. You know, yeah. so, um, that, of course, I mean, I'm not saying that they, they you know, uh, right. chastise, you know, bands like uh, Van Halen or not. I mean, these are great musicians. They listen to everything. But what I'm saying right. is like what they're transpired in their style and in their music uh, the influence of these other bands, um, I think it's, for me, it's uh, more clear. But again, the thing with Black Sabbath, to be honest with you, um, if you really listen to, especially the first record, um, dude, I mean, the lyrics, sure, you know, the, the spooky yeah. stuff and all of that, but that was a geezer gimmick. I mean, he, he said it, you know, it's like, you know, we're used to play in this theater, uh, sure, people are having fun, but you know, back then in Britain, you know, we will play and we will get people there leaving the club to come to see the show. So they were already wasted. Uh, you know, you get people to enjoy the show when you will play for families or everything like on Sundays because they were not drunk. So they will get to hear what they were saying. But there were always this theater across the street in, in Birmingham where they were playing. They used to play horror movies. And it's just like, why that place? It keeps playing the same movie the whole week. And these are all movies already. And there is always a line of people waiting to go in. And that's what gives us. So, you know, because people like to get their the shit scared out of them. Yeah. You know, and uh, maybe we should start to do something. That's how the whole, you know, dark thing started with Black right. Sabbath. But it was nothing demonic or anything like that. It was just like a, a musical yeah. version yeah. of an horror movie. But the basic of their music. That's blues, and more yeah, blues oh, than Led sure. Zeppelin, mm -hmm. more yeah. blues than any other, more, even more blues, I would say, or more rootsy than even the Stones, because the Stones were already getting into sure, you know, uh, you know, Allen Wolf and Muddy Waters and all of that, but that's like where the blues that was already somehow working, you know, the way around in the, the large public here in the states they were playing the dark stuff they were playing like some possibly some like what the, the, their approach to it whether they knew it or not was like more like even like early robert johnson and that kind mm -hmm. of stuff was dark it was the minor blues it was not the happy you know yeah. c c c7 chord so this is like when people think about you know british blues oh led zeppelin and of course peter green and you know and pink Floyd. yeah well hold on guys the sabbath man you know just don't don't be you know uh uh, fooled by the old devil thing, which, by the way, it's part of the narrative and the blues background 100%. and culture, anyways. 100%. You know, Mr. Lucky and all of that. Come on, exactly. Yeah. I mean, exactly. If you think about it, it was the first one that started it, you know, whether yeah. he, he wanted to or not, you know. <laughs> so, and I think those bands really left a major uh footprint in uh in, in all this thing that we're doing, you know. Yep. and. The British stuff, though, I think, to be honest with you, is what always kind of like really got me to think more and be more open. Because, uh, and, and then again, this is nothing, it's not like a, a, a form of being uh, um, offensive or disrespectful or, of a, or maybe like a, a companionistic way of uh, reviewing uh, a band or a piece of music. But if I listen to... Uh, American bands from back then, uh, from the 60s, other than, obviously, Alman Brothers, 
when they were playing rock blues, they were very, I don't know how to explain it, but it was, that's the sound. In other words, these are the kind of songs that we do. And this is the kind of music that we play, which were fantastic, like from the early Aerosmith to any of that, right? Mm -hmm. When you go to Britain, then you're getting the really eclectic bands. Like if you think about it, the Beatles, mm -hmm. Led Zeppelin, Queen, Pink Floyd, 65% was blues. But everything, but they didn't have a problem in playing a song that had a little bit more honky-tonk and some other that was a little bit more dark mm -hmm. and some other one that was a little bit more even funky and all of that. While the only band from back then I can think of from, from the States was the Almond Brothers that they were, because even Leonard Skinner, which is for me, it's, I, when it comes down to the rock, their rock vibe, I prefer, I mean, it's my favorite uh, Southern rock band. They were not as... Um, as diverse as yeah. the Almond Brothers were. They didn't have like the R&B, that type of influence. Yeah, like they were just like straight on, just yeah. light up the barbecue, yeah. give me the Jack Daniel, yeah. just tune up the guitar and let's go for yeah. it, you know, mm -hmm. basically. And while the British, I guess it's like the, you know, the whole thing, the, the historic thing and all of it, it was a little bit more eclectic. And that's what they really liked. Then obviously you ended up in getting bands like Steely Dan and mm -hmm. my favorite, Toto, that yeah. ended up in doing picking up that approach and if we go over i would say the black music department you know um sly and the family stone mm -hmm. doing that kind of approach uh and kind of like uh, getting music that it's not necessarily always the same but you can tell where it's coming from and the artist is the same but they can switch from something that could be almost like a 20s foxtrot to a, a 50s boogie but consistent with what the band or the artist sound is I, I that for me is like the biggest legacy that the british uh, uh blues rock uh, renaissance from the 60s uh you know uh, gave us you know i'm i was involved uh not only with the production you know with the the, the scoring of it but also in the production of a movie a couple of, goes back a couple of years ago, uh, titled Sidemen, A Long uh, Road yeah. to Glory, yeah. which is actually the story of Pine Top Perkins, uh, yeah. you know, Willie Blay, uh, the guy's bit, and uh, Hubert Sumling. And uh, when we were putting this thing together, the conversations, I remember, you know, Sumling, uh, Hubert telling us about these things when they went to did the London sessions and all of that. I was like, you know, I'm alive. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's just like, I, I couldn't believe this kind of stuff. And you notice that after those guys went there, kind of like gave all the British like legitimacy to really take the blues lesson and just kind of like, and this is okay. This is what we're bringing from the States. Here you go, guys. Uh, now you were playing it together. And now that you know, just do your own thing with it, you know? And that's exactly what they did, you know? And, and it was fantastic because they were able from the beginning uh, to take it to the next level. In other words, they didn't, play the sedentary card we're like okay well that's how bb king does it and that's how we do it no well that's how bb king does it one reason more to not do it like him because there's only one bb king but let's learn his lesson let's make it our let's make it ours and let's look to the future you know because some of those cats were already like a generation older than the british uh, young lads of back then that now are the og generation of the blues rock so i think you know what came out of that Canubius between 
Alling Wolf and you know the Muddy Water, uh, the Muddy Waters repertoire, and then the Stones and Clapton and all of it was just fantastic, and that would allow us to do what we're doing today, you know. And uh, I always look with uh, not only admiration but uh, uh, kind of like uh, uh, awe of what these people were able to put together back then because it was not as easy as it is now i mean we travel the world now we with supersonic we ended up in headlining my hindra blues festival in in uh, in india and we ended up in with jamming and i wanted to meet some of the local musicians and we got some guys i was again with gibbons and with kenny and we got these dudes that will come up on stage and play and and Benny was like man how the hell these guys learn how to play like this here right, I mean, right yeah, music is music right. everywhere music. but yeah but then again it's just the sensitivity and and then you know it's thanks to the youtube of uh, you know of now that people grew up and listening to these things again it could be counterproductive because unfortunately youtube is very responsible uh, for what i called the bedroom heroes these musicians that are ridiculously incredible when it comes down to the, the technical aspect. And they might end up in even winning several Grammys, but they never did a show before I even get the first award. So I'm like, uh, I don't know how, if that's really the way it's supposed to work, but you know, I respect everybody. I mean, I'm not trying to put any, anybody sure, sure. down. But I get uh, it. Like you didn't cut your teeth playing live and you learned so much playing live. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. So this is uh you know, it's a big lesson with that, uh, that we should, we should cherish. And, and again, I'm, I remember, and we have a part in the movie where actually Keith Richards said something and it's just people like, you know, when the Stones did the little red rooster and obviously became, you know, went to the charts and, you know, they started to make, you know, the, the, the real blues famous to the masses. Uh, you know, it's just like, oh, we came to America and people were asking how oh, cool that and everything. Oh, you're playing that. It's like, we're not doing anything different. You guys already had this. You had this all along and you never really pay attention to listen to it. You know, we just kind of like dust it up, just put a, you know, a Union Jack on it, brought it over and you guys are buying it. But, you know, this is coming from you, man. It's just coming from your backyard, you know. Do you know Andy Aldor? Excuse me? Do you know Andy Aldor? He's a, he plays guitar and he's a, he's a, a journalist. Um, I, Brian, I think if we get... Fab and Andy in a room together and just let them go. It'd probably be one of the greatest conversations of all times. And, J uh, and JD Simo. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and JD Simo. No, uh, Andy, oh my Andy's God. That's uh, with, like um, love that Southern guy. and Dickie Betts and like, oh, okay, like, okay, okay, okay. Like and stuff. And he's still done, but it was just, he's been around and seen things and has been a journalist, have been a player. And you're very similar. Like you've had all these great experiences and working with all these like legendary people and you're, as cool as shit dude too so i just i would just sit and listen to you guys talk for like as long as you wanted to talk well if you really want to talk like blues on this sense uh which I, I'm, I'm a novice with it okay i know what i know what i learn but just uh, music just it's, music. Uh, this is like gibbons jesus he's like he's the encyclopedia he will go like um on it will just pull out this phone this like some recording that i don't know where he found him says like listen to the guitar on the second verse this is a turnaround it's a 12 bar blues but there's no turnaround that's the way i like it that's how zz top got to change uh that's my broom from the original version of valmore james this actually was cut in 57 but he wasn't using a fender twin because i'm like 
Where do you find all this shit, man? I'm like, Billy, I mean, you don't even have time to go to the bathroom sometimes. Where, how do you get this information? So it's like, well, uh, you know, basically that was like his life, uh, you know, growing up with sure. these things. So, sure. You know, if you want to hear somebody with real funny jokes or stories, here's one, you know, well, and ask him whenever you talk to him about, you know, the, the Hendrix thing when the, the moving sidewalk opened for, for, for Hendrix and they were requested by the promoter to play uh, two more songs because uh, I do not know who of Jimmy uh, Hendrix's band was not uh, at the venue yet. Yeah. I don't know what happened, but maybe it was with some ladies. I don't know, whatever. But, you know, the, the band was, <laughs> was not there. And he says, guys, can you play on it? And, <laughs> and Billy told me, he says, like, we played, we replayed one of our songs uh, that we played at the beginning. And so people didn't know this because we weren't new. And uh, we ended up, and I, we played Foxy Lady because we like to, to jam on that. So, and Jimi Hendrix was like standing next to the stage like yeah. this, looking at them playing, you know, <laughs> and this is like, and when we, when we leave in the stage, Billy was young, he was like yeah. 19 or something. Yeah. And uh, Jimmy goes there and he says like, that was a great show. I like you. You got some balls, dude. You got some <laughs> balls. <laughs> well, Billy was Jimmy's favorite guitar player, right? Was that was that the story? Well, I don't know to that much in terms of like because Billy was very very young and Jimmy. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Jimmy was young too, but uh, Jimmy got to see and learn how who Billy was and what he could do by seeing them and actually asked them to bring the band and open up for him for the rest of the tour. That's how they got to know each other. But I think he was impressed by the age and the fact that these super skinny extra white dude from Houston had such a, a, a vast blues knowledge of all the stuff that Jimmy already knew because Jimmy was playing the chitling circuit before he ended up in doing his own thing. So yeah. it was impressed by that. And then by seeing him playing Billy already back then, it was one of those guys that wasn't trying to play what the other people were doing, yeah. but he was trying to learn from it and try to build, make his own sound. Absolutely. That's I think what among the great guys and what creates uh, a difference and they start looking at you uh, in a different way with more right. respect and it also gives you a badge of honor you're not just a guy that knows how to play your instrument fantastically right. and you're a great sideman but you're an artist yourself because you're figuring out that you're finding your own voice on your own instrument yes for sure well you could tell billy if he's ever needs to talk to somebody <laughs> as a board he can he can come on anytime he wants to we, we let me see let, let me let me let me see what i can do let me see what i can do <laughs> <laughs> I won't promise anything, but let no, me see what I can not. do. That's... Of course not. We're, <laughs> we're, we're half joking, half, you know, honest. <laughs> um, well, your, your new album uh, from the Soul Garage Experience is uh, the Counterfeited Solstice Volume 1 coming out September 10th? Yes. Okay. Exactly. How, many, how many tracks we have on that? 11. 11 tracks. Okay. Mm -hmm. Is it a set band? You have guests coming in? What do we got? Uh, no, no. Um, actually, uh, I have uh, some great drummers playing on the record. Uh, uh, Stephen Perkins, I will say, is the official yeah. okay. band's drummer. Yeah. Uh, he's got, uh, let's put it this way, he's got the first call. Uh, but, you know, I would be very, very clear with everyone that plays with Soul Garage Experiences. Guys, I made this thing because I do not want to turn down a live show offer again. So uh, you're always going to get first call to do this live show with me. But if you think, if you think remotely think that I'm going to turn down a show just because your ass is not in town on that day, 
you got another thing coming. <laughs> no, I mean, I mean, I'm just trying to be funny. No, yeah. we create a kind of like a, a music community of friends and we already have uh, the sub of the sub of the sub. It's not even a sub. It's kind of like a rotation. I'm yeah. always going to be there. There's a couple of guys that are always going to be Perkins being one of them for the majority, yeah. but uh, there is like a rotation of talents. And uh, again, Perkins playing on the record. Kenny Aronoff plays some tracks. The great hum, uh, Herman Matthews uh, is playing on some tracks. And uh, this other fantastic drummer from Nashville, uh, who's a dear friend of my uh aj mora is a new york dude but together we did so many recordings and we back up uh, tracks with vi with lucater and everything is a fantastic drummer and he's one of my favorite so i got them on the rhythm sections uh, uh on the keyboards i'm doing a lot of stuff myself even though i'm not a keyboard player but i think i was able to fake my way to, uh, to the record <laughs> and on several tracks i have uh, alex alessandroni jr uh, who's also music uh, one of the musical director with supersonic blues machine and uh um Dylan Mix on uh, on Hammond uh guitar player that plays most of the song on the record is Derek Day it's phenomenal young kid um from Los Angeles I know this cat since he was 16 and he was busking in Santa Monica the pier you know with his guitar playing Guns N' Roses stuff and he was just and he blew me away um so he does a lot of the playing uh but also we have Alistair Green on on um nice. on track um and then let me see what's oh joy sykes uh, uh another friend of mine and co-writer and i play some guitars too on the on the record um okay. just because just because it's my record and i want it yeah, of course. <laughs> <laughs> you know <laughs> then obviously um there's a lot of harp that i love it i think uh that's you cannot play blues music or blues drenched music without at least like a couple of songs with an harp and um it's got a voice on his own so there's a couple of great harp player that are playing on the record uh chris leroy hansen is here from uh, los angeles and a dear friend of mine fabio druzin uh he lives in italy and he often plays actually with Warren, with the government mule. It's a, it's a steady part of Alving um, Youngbloods and uh, Muscle nice. Heart Theory. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's a bass player, singer. We were friends since we were like 14, 15. Wow. Uh, he started a band called Wind, which was basically the Italian version of uh, Alman Brothers. It was not a tribute band, but that's what he wanted to do. Sure. And they ended up in doing quite well with it. And uh, so every time that we go to Europe and everything, he joins us, you know, he comes and he sings and plays percussions, he plays the harp and everything. I don't let him touch bass because that's my duty when we're playing but even though now that i'm doing more singing i says you know what a couple of songs you can play it and i will stick to the microphone uh, so these two guys on the harp i sing i guess the majority of the tracks but i have uh, also two other great vocalists that are part of the entourage one is diamond mix it was a, a finalist for american idol and uh, americans got talent mm. it's a fantastic fantastic singer uh, he's a real singer. I mean, you can tell the track. When, as soon as you put on the track, and this is like, oh, whoa! You can <laughs> definitely tell that that's that's the singer, and it's not that's not Fab. That's the guy. Well, he grew up in Louisiana, gospel churches, and all of that. So obviously, sure. you can tell you can tell that. And then, um, my dear friend, the the newly crowned new king, new queen of soul from New York, Betty Smith. Oh, fantastic, fantastic vocalist, and she's got this sound that it's like. I don't know. It's like a mix between Tina Turner and Macy Gray, uh, and it's just beautiful. And she sings a song on the record uh, titled "With or Without You," and um, in their handling vocals. And then, obviously, I have my ladies, my wife and my daughter, right. the Super Sonnets, that handle all the backing ground. Super Sonnets, uh, is that what you said? Yeah, <laughs> I love that. That's a great name. You know what? I got that one from. Uh, uh, remember the um, the commitments? Yes. Oh, yes. Yeah. 
Okay, uh, that's uh, they're, they're something similar. I don't yeah, remember yeah, yeah, the yeah. number, but they, they yeah. changed the 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 commit yeah. the commit the commitments or something like that yeah, was. Like that. I was like, yeah, that's something cool, you know. Commitments like or something yeah, like that. Some, yeah. yeah. So they they're handling all the the beautiful uh, background parts on the record, and then obviously another dear friend of mine that actually sings to not on the record but uh, with us live. A lot of our our, our tracks are sang by him, uh, Garrett Holbrook, and. He, Badass lap steel player and oh, nice. an even better and even better singer is uh, you know it's kind of like I would say you're a better looking Chris Stapleton you know always telling that you know. <laughs> so this is like uh, it's the music community on it you know on on the record and uh, to be honest with you uh, I'll try to get as many of these cats as possible when we go out and play um, not necessarily. We're not necessarily able to make it happen like that every time, but yeah. when that happens, it's it's fantastic. Uh, come to Ohio so I can watch you play because that would be incredible. I'm looking <laughs> forward to this album because it's just it's just packed with just fan, like amazing people on it. Well, we'll we'll take care of that. You're gonna get you you got you're gonna get some you're gonna get some goodies soon. Let's put it. <laughs> well, I can, September 10th can't come quickly enough. Yeah, uh, we'll we'll take. Well, I guess. I mean, for the records, we will have. Unfortunately, records, records, we will have to wait for that day. But you know, well, I'll uh, I'll I'll slip you in some. You know, something that will allow you to listen to it. You know, like uh, you know, for in, insider only. So let me know what you think. Hopefully, you don't get like, oh shit. You know, we told this guy to come back every three weeks. Now, what do we do, man? This thing sucks ass. Like, let's. <laughs> well, you know what? To be honestly, if the music sucks and it's not because, uh, you know, we've listened to some of the other stuff and it's not, but you have enough stories that you, you know, you can come on anytime. <laughs> okay. Okay. Cool, man. As long as you're not starting, you know, asking me about my years in New York, that I cannot talk. Otherwise, I will have to join the witness protection program. So. <laughs> well, we said no, no crimes on this. So we will ignore that. Beautiful. So no, but that, was a, that was a joke, man. I'm a, I'm a big movie buff. <laughs> I'm a big, well, to the point, but I'm a big movie movie buff and I love the old Martin Scorsese, uh, Francis Driver Ford couple of things. So yeah, the old, you yeah. know, of course, the Goodfellas Godfather. and, you know, Godfather, you know. That's why when, you know, when there is a reason also why we <laughs> ended up in doing the record being titled um, Counterfeited uh, Solstice, Volume 1. Because among us involved in that world uh we didn't refer to uh the godfather one godfather two and three it was always the one the two or the three yeah so i give myself an opportunity to have something that was called the one you know i know this is like old, it's all in my head i know i'm sorry you know for people might not necessarily relate to this but Makes this is a joke right? and when we talk to our you know between my friends and everything we all we always laugh about this kind of stuff so are we getting uh needing to wrap up here press the envelope on time so yeah. we usually do a lightning round but it's it, funny like what, one of the last uh questions is tell us a good tour story but i think you have tour stories volume one two three four five <laughs> so, <laughs> mm -hmm. do you have a couple minutes for lightning round questions or do you need to drop sure off? sure sure go ahead. Yeah, no no it's okay i just got the, actually a notification that the other guy's running a bit late so we're cool all right Brian, are we good? Yeah, 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 for sure. Okay, here comes the lightning round. These are short, easy questions. You know, don't overthink them. It's it's pretty basic stuff. Okay. Mm -hmm. Sure, sure, sure. Of course. What's the first concert you went to? Um, uh, it, it wasn't actually an Italian singer songwriter. 
that, to be honest with you, uh, actually, I really disliked. I was taken there by my cousins. They were older than me. And, you know, it was kind of like a sufferance because this guy with an acoustic guitar just complaining about stuff. And, you know, I really couldn't stand it. I would say, I'll give you the first show that I attended that I really okay. enjoyed. All right. That was actually uh, Dire Straits in Milan. Oh, nice. Uh, yeah, that was the time of uh, making movies. Yeah. Roughly, yeah, yeah, yeah. roughly, yeah. yeah, around that time. Yeah. No, actually, before that, before that, before making movies, yes. Oh, my God, yeah. That was that was a fantastic, fantastic, uh, fantastic good experience. Band. Yeah. And, you know, definitely got the blues influence in those guys. Oh, big time. It was just like a real, real badass uh, live musicians, for sure. What was the first record you bought? First record that I bought with my own money or that was given to me? It, your choice. Okay. First record that was given to me was a single, a 45 given to me from my by my mom and that was the rolling stones uh satisfaction nice good one um the first record that i bought myself with my own money was bob marley babylon by bus there you go i mean you said he was one of your inspirations mm -hmm. one of your favorite guys that's a good one mm -hmm. you have a big i mean you've you've named all these guys that you played with and worked with if you could play with any band or artist throughout history for one night would it be one uh you could resurrect the dead you whatever you want. Oh, oh wow well no that, mean, that that Everyone. wouldn't be fair that wouldn't be fair because I, I would start you know just going on you know and on and on and on and on so the usual suspect and hendrix and all of that of course freddie mercury and, and all those cats i would say of the people that are alive today mm -hmm. i know some people will go like uh what the hell I'll give you three, uh, three people, uh, three, sure. three, three, three artists, Lenny Kravitz, wow. U2, and the Rolling Stones. And That's there's a pretty... reason why I'm saying the Rolling Stones, because that was a missed opportunity for me. But, you uh -huh. know, I guess we can get into it. It's a story that I will tell you next time I come around. Okay. That's Remember that. Write it down. The Stones. Okay. Yeah. That's, that's, that's pretty eclectic choices. I like them. Kravitz, U2, and the Stones. What is one song that you you hear that you wish you'd written? Like you hear the song, you're like man, this song is just so good. I wish I actually wrote that. You too, one love. Really? Mm -hmm. That's your one, huh? Uh, it, that, either that or Procol Arm, Wider of a Shed of Pale. Oh, that's a classic song. I, you know, mm -hmm. just wow, wow. Okay, like I see, I didn't. U2 is a good, I wouldn't pick you up as U2 guy. Now you're talking U2. From the beginning, from, from the moment that they came up and there is a, their live record, Rattle and Hum, 1990 mm -hmm. oh. or 1991. That shows you how uh, uh, an Irish blues band sounds like. That's what yeah. it is. Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, that's what they're trying to do. Get that Motown blues and soul and, mm -hmm. and all that. And it's okay. Good choices. I like, I like where we're going here. What's the, what's the best song that you think you've ever written is? My song mm -hmm. you say man this is the best song i've ever written i know it could vary uh, from day to day uh well the songs are like your babies you don't really have a favorite one right right <laughs> uh i mean at least that's what you say in front of the rest of the family but <laughs> <laughs> there's always the one that you like the most you know right. you love them all. you love you them, like all. them all but what's like the one you there is like, one. man this is just the one i would say 
Okay. Give me, please give me, let me allow me to two songs. Uh, even though I like everything, two songs that I'm attached to it because they kind of like, uh, I would say, they open the floods for everything else to come. Not because they're better of everything that follow, but it's because they were like uh, the, um, what tipped the scale, you know, in my musical journey. Two songs. One is uh, called, um, is a, uh, um, uh, funny enough, because now I'm I'm having a a, 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 um, a, a brain fart, um, but and and and, and I'll, I'll tell you in a second. And I'm sorry, it's embarrassing, but I've been you know going crazy, and that's a it's a supersonic uh, um, a supersonic uh, blues machine uh, song, and uh, the other one it's actually from Soul Garage, and that would be uh, right down below. Right down below, okay, absolutely, and, and that's because uh, it includes everything they're all about there is the rock element there is the reggae element there is the soul element there is the fun the funk element and there is the political and social element uh so uh that's that's very 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 important okay. the other one um um I'm, I'm funny i just don't remember the title of my own songs but it's number two on our first record uh is um it's just because it, it, again, that could be a, a, another great story for the next time. That's related to when Absolutely. I was little and I had a kind of like a, a very, um, I would say, an esoterical, spiritualistic, but uh, borderline Robert Johnson kind of event. So it, that song actually talks about that and what happened afterwards. Okay. First, second song on your first album, you said. Mm -hmm. Okay. We'll dig into Actually, that. no, number three, number three, number three. Number three, okay. What is your favorite venue to play in? Whoa, listen, I didn't necessarily tour the world that much, you know, to be, so, you know, having a, a great knowledge of all the places. Uh, so far, I would say, and, and I wouldn't, again, it wouldn't, it wouldn't give justice to all the other places on the sure, other show and sure. the people that were there because every show it's like, it's an episode. It's uh, you know, it's just a little, you know, time warp in, in, in us, in, in our life uh, as a musicians that it, it just, it, it's like, again, you cannot really, I love this one more than that. I think on the overall, probably I will say again, the Shepherd Bush empire okay. in London, because what it represents in my life, not because, sure. you know, necessarily the place itself, even though it's a great and everybody's venue and place stuff. has a different meaning like you know hey we're treated well here the acoustics or the you know like you know, no no was, that's just for historical yeah. and my own personal life reason i fully understand that okay we'll, we'll get close here with a couple uh, quick questions so you're italian you like horror movies do you like horror mm, yes and no I'll you know, I mean, say, yeah. favorite Italian horror film, like an Argento or something other. other oh, film? cool. Yeah, I actually, I like uh, Argento. I would say, yeah, I it, I wasn't like a, a really hip on that old splatter from the 70s, yeah. you yeah. know, Lamberto Bava and all that. That's something actually I know Quentin Tarantino loves. Yep. And and Robert Rodriguez, too. That's why yeah. they did their own thing. I'm, I wasn't really too hyped on that. Uh, I would say Dario Argento probably Profondo Rosso in Italian. Yeah. Uh, I don't know the English translation. I think probably Deep Red or something like that. I think that's one. Yeah, I think that that's called. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's I, probably it. Yeah. There is a Italian horror film that I like from the '80s called Demons, and there's a soundtrack. It's like a heavy metal soundtrack. It has like Goblin and Old Motley Crue. Are you familiar with that? 
Oh, actually, I was a big fan of Goblin. Yeah, see? That was an incredible, incredible... Well, see, that's the thing that I was telling you earlier. In Italy, in the 60s, uh, I, I really liked music, Italian music from the from the 50s, 40s, yeah. 50s, and 60s, especially the mid-60s. The old prog movement out of Italy was absolutely insane. Goblin, uh, Rovescio della Medaglia, The Trip, um, Osiride. Uh, no, sorry, Osanna. Osiride was the, the, the record. And by the way, I, I don't know if you know them, but the band called Trip uh, was, um, there was an English guy uh, on bass. The, the other guys were Italian, but the guitar player that joined the band uh, and was uh, the longest guitar player in that band was Richie Blackmore. It was with that oh, band really? before it started um, Deep Purple. Yeah, and yeah. actually... Uh, the keyboard player, the organ player for Trip, uh, was actually my uh, mentor in Italy. Jovesco, he passed away, and he was my first, our first manager producer with my band. And you know, God bless his soul and his memory. Because he was a great guy and a fantastic musician. I remember that uh, Rich Blackmore asked him, uh, "Hey, why don't you come with me? I'm 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 moving back to the UK. We we have like a month off now. I cannot say if I have this opportunity to do these things and stuff like that. You're great with all the classical stuff. I have this concept. Why don't you come? I want to put together this. And and just was like, no, but we have all these shows and stuff. I cannot really think. So basically, I always told him, since I basically you passed on the purple. Uh, <laughs> wow. But." Yeah, that's uh, Italy back then. It was actually really cool. And believe it or not, even Jimi Hendrix used to love when he was staying in the UK, used to go to Italy because there were a bunch of clubs like set up in the the same way some of the British yeah. club were. Yeah. And people would go there just to have fun and stuff, regardless of who actually was playing. It was a great moment to be around. And then, you know, I guess the cheese hit the fan and, <laughs> and he went all to the shitter, you know, <laughs> at least up till a sure. few years ago. Yep. Okay, my last question for you on the, on these lightning rounds is: Tell us a guilty pleasure artist or song that you like that we would be surprised to hear. Guilty pleasure. Um, mm -hmm. Well, I generally don't hide my music. Um, See, everybody says that. Well, what's I, I mean, fun I mean, that God, I, I, uh, I, I'm just let me think. Something that it's like uh, everybody will look at me like, oh, what the hell? We've heard uh, a lot of people say disco. Oh, yeah, well, that for sure. Absolutely. <laughs> uh, but you know what? Um, there's a reason, and I'm not trying to justify it. Uh, there's one thing that, um, for at least uh, for me being European, disco had a different meaning that the, you know, that for Americans. Um, for us, disco, the beat, of course, you know, 120 BPM, 118, mm -hmm. whatever it is, and the old dance, okay, fine. Uh, but majority of those artists from Bunny M to Sylvester's, you know, and all of that, they were like, they were great blues and gospel singers. And they, if you, if you remember, sure, the melodies were there, the, 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 the whole thing was put together, but when those guys could kind of like, wiggle off with what they were doing that's where they were going so that was like getting somebody that could be easily a singer in my own band but with a little bit of a different music in the background so that that's why it was not that offensive of yeah. course then you have the silly disco stuff yeah, the, the yeah. stupid shit and then of course we're not going there however i think the best disco band um 
as one of again one of the guitar player that I like the most, which is Nive Rogers. And then you're talking about Chick, you know, yeah, Tony Thompson, you know, Bernie Edwards. I mean, how can you not like that? But see, that's the thing. Disco and dance music back then were done by musicians that really knew how to play, you know, and, and it's a different thing, you know. If you think about it, even Michael Jackson's with the five uh, yeah. on trailer and uh, trailer, I'm sorry, on beat it, uh, or you know. That's Jeff Porcaro. I mean, that's yeah. not drum machine. That's just the real people playing. Yeah. It's, it's it makes a hell of a Steve difference. Lukather. Like those guys I, did all, played all the, the stuff in the studio. Yeah, exactly. So I would say yes. That probably that kind of world. I would say yeah. Well, very yeah. good, man. That's you know I, that's a pretty good universal pick. And like, there's a lot of like the good disco bands had that funk element too. We can kind of mm -hmm. you know hear. How they interrelated with each other so i don't find that embarrassing either but you know i didn't figure <laughs> you're going to say like uh the guest we had yesterday who said the, um uh, uh new kids on the block so <laughs> you know what i uh as much as i um respect the kind of music there are a lot of boys bands that i i personally Talented, think sure. they were great yeah. uh but not necessarily for the band itself but for what some of the guys ended up in doing afterwards well, so i guess Justin they were Timberlake. a great Thank you. Is like one of them. Who my Thank you. Absolutely. His first solo record. Oh my God. It's incredible. Yeah. I love yeah. it. You know, I have it on my, on my phone. It just, you know, it just keeps on going. So um, like I said, if, if music gets done with passion and heart and, and you're honest about it, there's nothing to be ashamed of it. And actually I'm sure that, you know, anyone that like to listen to and, and, and enjoy music uh, will have a good, you know, will have a kick doing it. Yeah, you for know? sure. I don't think any, you, we could set it any better than that. Well, Fab, it was great to have you on here. Well, uh, you're thank doing you guys the Soul Garage us. Experience. Your album, Counterfeited Solstice Volume 1, is out in September. I know we're going to be excited to hear it. Where do we go to find out more about you, your projects, to get to buy your music? Good. Thank you that, you that thank you that you're bringing that up. I'll invite everyone to come and visit our site www.soulgarageexperience.com or fabriziograssi.com is the same site, two names to make it easier. And from there, that's the hub to get to our YouTube channel, to get to our Spotify, to get to, you know, Instagram and all of that. Uh, there you can get all the information that you want to get. You can watch videos and all of it, uh, listen to music, uh, download stuff, um, read interesting things hopefully interesting it's, <laughs> yes. it's a really good website i was perusing the last couple of days like it's excellent thank you and uh, so that's absolutely uh, where i invite everyone to uh, to keep their eyes on it if they wanted to get to know more about the record as far as uh, where you can get now of course if you go to spotify and uh, soul garage experience you have a bunch of songs already there the new single that is being released three weeks ago it's called um, ain't no giving up and there is actually a video on uh, on youtube as well and also the previous two singles uh, right down below and I'd rather be wrong. Again, you guys can check out the video. Please subscribe to the channel. Just leave a comment. And even if you don't like it, just say why you don't like it. You know, that helps me a lot. No, no, it's, yeah, sure, it's actually sure. something good. I like to hear that. You know, when people are telling you things honestly, yeah. it's always it's always like a, 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 a reason to grow. You know, it's yeah. just something that you learn, you know. So absolutely. And then if you really kind of like get, um, I would say, um comfortable with with me and my music and all of it if you want to check out my other band too supersonicbluesmachine.com same thing you can get uh, to spotify you can get to youtube you can get everywhere in there and have access to music videos lyrics and all of it and again follow like and blah 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 
Yeah, you're you are cool as shit. It was so good to talk to you. Like you do, Brian. Please, can we have him back sometime? For sure, for sure, for sure, for sure. So thank you. Well, if, um, I guess uh, I'll, I'll have my people talking to your people. <laughs> <laughs> our people's Brian. You actually have people. Our people's Brian. So. Uh, you know, well, I would say, you know, it's always uh, at least that's that's the main joke that I always pull as an Italian in the music business. When somebody tried to pull something up, which you will remember, I'm Italian. I know people, and especially <laughs> I know where you live. So. <laughs> and on that note, thank you guys for having me. It's fantastic. Thanks, everybody, for listening to it. And uh, the only thing that I have left to say is just for everybody's out there. Uh, this could be a great world if we keep it together. So please be kind to each other. Love it. Brian? Yeah, well, thank you so much, Fab Grossi, uh, for being here, and we can't wait to have you on again. Thank you so much. Our minds are blown. There's nothing else left to say, so thank you so much. Oh, thank you, guys, and I can't wait to get back soon. Thank you to Ella, to uh, Fab Grossi for joining us in this chat, this conversation. I don't know what to say. I, you know, I think the only other time I was speechless was J.D. Simo and Andy Aildort. Yeah. We just talked to somebody who, I don't think we talked to anybody else that, that, you know, we thought maybe with Andy, but with, with Fab, like the amount of people he knows is, is, is just mind numbing. in this genre of stuff that we're doing at the same time. I mean, just dropping billy gibbons or you know just warren haynes or you know it's just crazy i'm floored you know my favorite part was like when he's talking about well we got this gig to do but you know uh you know uh kenny aronoff you know he had to play with this other guy john fogarty so stephen perkins from james edition oh okay that's fine (laughs) it's like really it's like (laughs) Well, to have too, like someone like Steve Lukather come take him <laughs> under his wing and be friends with him and give him all these opportunities, like you heard about trying out with Ozzy and like, do, like all the just, just crazy. I mean, this guy's done stuff with Steve Vai. I mean, obviously, Billy Gibbons is a friend of his. Uh, the thing with Leslie West, I mean, come on, Leslie West of all freaking people. Um, Eric Gales, like, I, I'm, I was speechless too. He started talking and like, when he was done and waiting for us to ask him a question, I'm, I was honestly I'm like, I don't, I don't know what to ask you at this point. Yeah. I'm like, my head is spinning. And just like a good dude too, just freaking, just amazing, just interesting, just interesting. Like I said, like he's, you know, we could say, hey, what's a good tour story? And it's like, from which volume? Volume one, volume <laughs> right? seven. I didn't even get into that because I'm like, I know he had to run because he had a gig and stuff going on. Um, he had something he had to do, and I know, you know, I know he could give a good story, so I definitely stayed away from that. But but he he doesn't need to come back, and we need to have further conversations, and I need to be uh, more prepared. Like he 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 said he would tell us the Rolling Stones story and missed opportunity yeah. with them. Hmm. He was almost a member of Deep Purple when they were getting yeah. ready to be formed. I'm like, oh, like he just drops those things like nonchalantly. I'm like, wait a minute back up you can't just like drop that and keep going <laughs> i want to know more i wonder if he maybe auditioned after bill wyman left i don't know i don't know before I, gerald jones got the gig he, he said he would if tell that's us the, the case story. man that'd be like he said he would tell us the story right wow. so he's got to come back but um good find on him i'm so glad he came on like the supersonic glue stuff is really cool and i'm really excited to hear 
um, the Soul Garage stuff more. I know the record's coming out soon. And I, I watched a little bit of that video on his website. I didn't watch a ton of it. I need to go back and, and do it more because I'm a fan of that guy and I've liked his music and I'm sure I'm going to like Soul Garage. Amazing. Just amazing. Um, I, I think everybody's going to like who, who's listening to that interview, right? Because this is the part post-interview. I uh, hope they found it as entertaining and as interesting as we did. If they did, there's something wrong with them. Yeah, quit listening to us now. Not kidding. Yeah. yeah, I just great. Just great. He's one of those guys that came out that you don't know what you're going to expect sometimes um, with people. And from the moment we just started chatting before we recorded, I could tell it was going to be good. Our minds are blown and Southern Rock is Rabbit and Blues is Blood. We'll see you next time.
It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points. 